0: know what they did. You don't know what they sacrificed. We have lost touch with the principles in the Constitution. Nobody's read the Declaration of Independence. You are voting for socialism, and you got what
1: you voted for. Welcome, bold Americans, to another episode of America Emboldened. As always, I'm your host, Greg Bolden. We have a great show for you. Dr. William Mackus is returning for a second time. I interviewed him probably as like last May or June, somewhere around then, and we were talking about what he was seeing as a increase in aggressive cancers. I wanna make it known right now that we're going to address with Dr. Mackus what other people have stated. Uh, He's had people come after him saying that there's no such thing as this turbo cancer. Well, if you listen to my show, he even said, well, turbo cancer is an official cancer diagnosis. It's the best way you can describe what he's been seeing after the mRNA vaccines came out. And so we'll start talking about the numbers, the data, and whether or not uh, it is truly a thing in his eyes. These are obviously Dr. Maccus's views, but I know plenty of both oncologists as well as other doctors that support Dr. Mackus in his work. You will also find people online that would argue and say this is not a thing. So we're going to get to the bottom of the the actual stats today. We're going to talk about the cases that he's looked into, and it should be a great conversation. As always, I'm bringing on my co-host as well, Chris Michaels. Welcome to the show. How are you doing, Chris?
0: Hi, Greg. How's it going? It's going well.
1: I uh I was telling Dr. Mackis before we started taping, I took a fall. Oh, playing soccer with my son a few minutes ago on the hardwood yeah. floor. So I'm in pain right now, but we're going to have an awesome show. No matter what we're going to have. A Let's blast. go
0: get deplatformed.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. You know what? But I, I said that about YouTube because YouTube is so finical. If, if it's not the official approved Dr. Fauci science, YouTube's right. like we're ripping this video off and you're getting a warning or a strike. And I think it's silly because we should be able to have conversations about what we're seeing. No one's saying that like Dr. Maccus, I don't think he's gonna come on here and go, I am the end all be all authoritarian on turbo cancer tonight. I don't think he's going to do that. I I've spoken with him before. He's super nice guy, very level headed. And you'll be shocked, I think, Chris. I'm so looking forward to you having the opportunity to speak with him as well. Uh, because his journey in uh cancer research, whoo, there's a really, really important detail in that with Canada in him. Um, this guy is a true um true doctor in every sense of the word. So the mm-hmm. people that try to smear this guy for what he's doing, it's really a shame. So why don't we bring him right on up and get started with the show? What do you say? Let's go. All right. Dr. Mackis, welcome back to America in Bolden. Good to see you again. Thanks for having me again. Oh, it's a pleasure having you back here again. I'll tell you when I had the show back in June of 2023, I had a ton of comments on people telling me I'm seeing this too. My aunt's, all of a sudden developed cancer almost a month after the mRNA shot um, or a teenager in their family had died from uh, testicular cancer. Uh, So I had a ton of people that were contacting me saying, I see this as well. And then I had the haters. I had the people that were saying, this guy's a grifter, he's cashing in on this right now, he's stoking people's fear and how dare you platform this guy onto your show, you're just bringing the fear based in this. I'm going, I did not get the impression at all that he was one, a grifter, trying to cash in on anything because you were talking about how your entire career you're curing people's cancer through experimental means and the Canadian government shut you down and caused people to die when you were having success. That doesn't sound like a grifter or somebody trying to cash in. That sounds like somebody who's truly caring for patients. And so I wanted to know, you've probably been attacked a lot more in the previous, you know, 10, eight months since this conversation has been going. How is your response to those that are saying, you know what, Dr. is? you're with the wellness company, you're cashing in on this fear narrative. Um,
2: how would you, What would you like to say to them tonight? Well, there's no fear narrative. Um, you know, I'm basically reporting what I'm seeing. And when, when people come after me and say, oh, turbo cancer is made up, this doesn't exist, uh, you know, I went on on a search and I searched for turbo cancer and no, no studies showed up. You know, I'll, I'll come back and say, look, this is what I'm seeing at the ground level. This is what I'm seeing people report on social media. Uh, you see people reporting this on GoFundMe. I, I you know, there are thousands of people uh, in my province, in Alberta, Canada, all throughout Canada, who are reporting this. Uh, I get private emails, I get hundreds of private emails from family members who tell me their stories you know, their loved one took two vaccines, three vaccines, four vac- vaccines, what have you, and then developed an extremely aggressive cancer. So so this is happening. This is happening all around us. You know, if I was making this up, um, I, I mean, you know, I wouldn't last more than a few days online because mm-hmm. uh, people would, you know, people would call, call you out. Uh, you know, everyone would say, look, this is not happening. But it's happening to thousands of people. Whenever I make a post on Twitter, Uh, Or you know, I put out a Substack. There are always many, many people who say, "Yes, this has happened to me. It's happened to my family. It's happened to my, you know, cousins, aunts, uncles, uh, friends." Um, So the point is that there are many people. This is happening to thousands of people, and to ignore them and, and to say, "Well, all these people are lying, or they're all hallucinating, or they're all making this up." I mean, that's just, to me, that makes no sense. Why would you do that? You know, how can, how can so many people be lying? Right? It, it just doesn't make any sense.
1: Well, one of the things that I get pushback from people that believe that the MRNA is 100% safe and effective and uh, their pushback they normally give to me is I speak with a lot of doctors, Greg, and they don't share what all these other doctors are telling you. And I, Try to put this in context that the doctors that i often am speaking with have either one will not willingly speak in public and i cannot use their names whatsoever because they've shown me letters that they've gotten from governors telling me or telling them should you speak out against this you will lose your medical license they will take action against you so that's the first part yeah. the second thing is why are people like you dr peter mccullough and so many others talking about this so openly and it's because you've already lost so much. Like, during the entire COVID uh, crisis, so to speak, of what the governments did, uh, Peter was being, he was fighting for his medical license and in a way that wasn't even fair. You were fighting with Alberta in a way that wasn't even fair. And if people look into this, now they're like, oh, you know what? I see why Dr. Macus is able to speak and other doctors are not able to speak but I don't think most people want to actually look at the facts of that. Is, is that an accurate assessment when you talk to like the people that are still, uh, in oncology and, and working in those fields? Cause I'm sure you're friends with tons of them. Do they talk to you off the record and are they sharing things and saying, you can't use my name, but this is the way things really are.
2: Absolutely. I mean, there are doctors who are absolutely petrified, petrified for their careers. Uh, For their licenses, for and you you have to understand that that as a physician, like this is our life. You know, it's not as if well, if you know, if our career is finished, then we can just go and do something related or similar, and so on. I mean, this is this is what we train our whole lives to do. So if someone says, well, we're going to destroy your license and we're going to make sure you can't practice anywhere else, because you know, when they come after your license, medical license, um, and they smear you as unprofessional, incompetent, uh, unfit to practice medicine. This is not like getting fired from one job, and so you'll just, you know, maybe you'll leave town and, and you'll set up a practice uh, in the next town or next province or next state. No, this is like they're trying to destroy your ability to practice medicine anywhere in the world. And and this is the level of, of uh, attack that the medical establishment is engaging in. So it's not just like that. You lose your job, you lose your hospital privileges. Okay, you'll pack up and you'll go to another town. They want to destroy your entire career, your ability to earn an income for your family. And as I said, you know this is what we've trained, you know, fifteen, sometimes twenty years to do. This is our whole life. And if they take this away, uh, and they, you know, want to destroy your ability to practice medicine anywhere else. Uh, most doctors are absolutely terrified of that because they have no plan b most doctors have absolutely you know no plan b to to lean on you know we don't have businesses or 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 you know most doctors don't have investments most doctors are not good with money right so uh, what do you do when someone destroys your ability to earn an income anywhere in the world i mean i've been faced with i mean i've had options to to restart my medical practice in saudi arabia in the middle of nowhere new zealand Um, you know, maybe in Dubai or Qatar, like, like, like those are my options. Like I literally have to leave the continent, South Africa, for example, I've been told go to South Africa. They don't, they don't care what the Canadian colleges say, uh, and how they've damaged your medical license. Open a practice in South Africa, open a practice in Mexico. Right. But those are the options that we're left with. Now imagine, you know, uh, being a a teacher or an engineer and, you know, you don't have an ability to go anywhere else and do what you love and you've trained your whole life for most people can't even imagine that level of pressure uh when these these the medical establishment puts those attacks on you and says look we're going to destroy your ability to practice medicine anywhere in the world
0: what what are the income brackets of those people that are making those offers
2: um the income
1: brackets of who are you well, talk about the Middle East, that- Chris. When you talk about like Qatar and places
0: that are yeah, offering them, yeah. right? Other other so, people from other countries saying, "Come here."
2: Well, I mean, I'll, I'll give you an example. So, for example, uh, you know, an average physician in the United States and Canada will make anywhere to three three to four hundred thousand dollars. If you're, you know, if you have got extra specializations, it goes higher. So, for example, radiologist in, in province of Alberta where I live, you know, seven eight hundred thousand dollars, for example. Who's gonna give that up? No one's gonna give that up. Surgeons, for example, imagine being a surgeon, and they'll say, "We'll never let you operate again, right?" And you're gonna lose your five, six, seven hundred thousand dollar income. So most people say, "Look, I'm gonna keep my mouth shut. I'm gonna keep my head down." And that's what some colleagues yeah. are, are. They're coming to me right. with when when we discuss things, you know, they say, "Look, keep me off the radar. Never use my name." Um, and, and this is this is where we're at right now. And this has to change. There has to be, you know, we have to get a single jurisdiction in, at least in North America, where medical freedom has to be brought back hundred percent, hundred percent medical freedom, no fear of losing your license for, for speaking out and for practicing medicine, the way you've been trained and the way, you know, what's best for your patients. We don't have that. We don't have a single jurisdiction in Canada or the United States where doctors can feel safe and be like, you know what, let me practice medicine the way I want. I'm going to take care of my patients. I'm going to speak out. Um, I'm going to give informed consent. It doesn't exist in North America right now.
0: Can I tell you a quick story?
2: Or Greg, yeah, go, go ahead. Tell us a quick story.
0: Yeah. So my fiance is a doctor of physical therapy. And um, when the mandates came through here, uh, we did not want to take it. And ultimately, we did not take it. But they recommended, somebody from the board actually, recommended that she see an allergist. So she goes to the allergist and say, look, look, I have these concerns. I-, I took a vaccine in my 20s, and I had this kind of reaction to it. So with this thing, we don't know about all of the ingredients in it. But out of the ingredients that we do know, um, I probably have an allergic reaction to this. So I don't think I should be taking this. This allergist, literally put a stethoscope up to her chest and said no you'll be fine if you took the shot i recommend that you just take the shot i mean this is the type of compliance that these doctors are more than happy to give to the government
2: we've so, never seen this before by the way i've spoken right. to i've spoken to hundreds of um healthcare workers recently in alberta um, and we're, we're sort of getting together and we're going to make a push against the medical establishment here everyone who's been sabotaged uh during the pandemic the stories i hear is every medical exemption was denied every religious exemption was denied by the authorities we've never seen this kind of totalitarianism uh in medicine before uh certain not in my lifetime i can tell you so right. so but- this is this is shocking. The the fact that you you've had a reaction in the past, you you have a potential, you may have a, a potentially lethal reaction to this and okay. your medical exemption will be denied. Categorically denied uh, almost anywhere in in North America. It's absolutely shocking. It it's I mean it's malpractice.
0: But but how spineless is it of this allergist to put a stethoscope yeah. up to somebody to say, "Oh, you'll be fine." If you take an injection. I mean, that's just crazy to me. Yeah. <laughs> it's absolutely nuts that somebody well, would. Chris, do this. it's it's like when I went
1: and I got my first uh shot. I got the Johnson and Johnson. And I said to the guy, he goes, How you feel about this? You feel like you're doing your part? And I said, actually, no, I'm I'm actually really nervous about this. I'm doing this because I need a job. Um, but yeah, I, I don't I don't feel too good about it. Well, why? Don't you trust the science? Those were his exact words to me. Don't you trust the science? I'm like Actually, yes, I do trust the science or else my ass wouldn't be sitting in the seat right now. Um, but at the same time, I also think the science was rushed to this point, And I'm nervous about I'm an experiment. Like, I know that there's no way you can tell me that, you know, everything that could possibly happen. Uh, so there was this I arrogance. Mean, science doesn't even
2: work like this. You know, right. science, no. science is not a faith. Science is not a religion. You, you know, you don't believe blindly science. You don't trust science. You know, you you basically, you study things and you question and you go back, you repeat experiments. I mean, that's how science works. That's how science advances. You know, there, there's never a this like, well, have faith and believe. Don't you believe? Like like that is, you know, these are, it's, it's like articles of faith of, of, but, a, of a religion. That's not the, how science the, works. The words were used against
1: people, though, that the science was settled. Exactly. And again, right. science right. is never settled. Correct. I don't believe in that.
0: And, and I told Greg this when I was doing my research for my own podcast and all that. All I did was read the FDA documents. And if I didn't understand a word, guess what? I've got Google. And I suddenly understood about what was happening. And ultimately, um, my fiancé did find one of three allergists in all of New York State. So you're talking about 14 million people that would perform that test. And it turned out that she was in fact allergic to that ingredient. So that. her life was put in jeopardy yeah. because of her job and because of a cowardly doctor.
1: Yeah. I mean, and then the credentials, right? Like I I've heard people, I've seen it. Uh, you know, I follow your page very closely. Ever since we spoke, like I'm just going to tell my listeners uh, when I speak with <laughs> hundreds of people per year doing this show, I get different feelings from certain individuals. Sometimes I'm like, man, don't trust that person. They just BS their way through the entire interview. Other times I'm like, that is a good human being. And we hit it off really well during the interview. And I was like, that's a good human being. I'm gonna keep in touch with him. We're gonna bring him back on later on in the future. And I can tell that about you, but there's people right now that are attacking your credentials, right? They're like, you you put oncologist on your, uh, your Twitter page. You're not a real oncologist. Um, how dare people do that? You were doing some of the leading research with other doctors in your country and having huge success in oncology. That makes you an oncologist. Yes, you are a
2: radiologist by trade, correct? Yeah. So my my uh, board certification is uh, nuclear medicine, which has radiology and oncology components to it. Uh, So in the United States, you will actually find, uh, you know, it's divided as nuclear radiology or nuclear oncology. You know, I studied that whole thing. So I have oncology as part of my training and board certification. Now, I'm not a medical oncologist. I'm not a a surgical oncologist. So there's different types of oncologists. I'm a nuclear oncologist uh, as part of the nuclear medicine training. But, you know, half of my practice uh, was oncology. I've published over 100 Peer-reviewed publications in international medical journals spanning three continents, and most of those are in cutting-edge cancer diagnostics and cancer treatment. Um, I've diagnosed uh, over twenty thousand cancer patients with various modalities, PET CT being the the most cutting-edge, uh, but also bone scans, thyroid scans, um, other kinds of scans. And, and I've treated cancer patients as well as a primary oncologist, as their primary oncologist. So I have extensive training. I have research credentials. Um, you know, to be attacked on my credentials to me is a bit silly. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, people want to, you know, sort of if, if they want to pick nitpick and say, well, he's not a medical oncologist. OK, I'm not I've never claimed to be a medical oncologist. These are people who give chemo and, and other drugs right. like immunotherapies. And their surgical oncologists. they mostly perform surgery. They, they get the tumors out, right? And you've got um, radiation oncologists as well who perform specific type of oncology treatments with external beam radiation therapy. So yes, I'm, I'm one of the types of oncologists. I've never claimed to be a different kind of oncologist, but it is a bit right. silly. So now that we've established credibility We've established your career a bit.
1: We've established the attack that has been on doctors. I think we can move into this conversation now about the aggressive cancers. We can talk about the spike protein and whether or not we're seeing it cause issues. And Dr. Peter McCullough has kind of opened my eyes uh, about a year ago when he said, this is very easily testable, Greg. In the autopsy, you can figure out which spike protein was there. Was it the vaccine? Or was it actual COVID? And he said, "What I think you're going to find is it's a little bit of both. That the spike protein does a ton of damage in either state. Uh, but you know, this conversation that, that I want to have right now, and I know Chris has tons of questions that he's already gotten from uh, your your significant other as well, that has got the medical license. Um, I want to get into, yeah, this aggressiveness that at this point in time we're hearing about within three months." people are passing away from highly aggressive cancers. We know that leading from 2000 to 2019, cancers were on the rise amongst young people. I'm curious because the the official data has not really come out since 2021. We have not seen true adjusted numbers but in what you're talking who you're talking to and the numbers that you're seeing, can you cite any research? Can you cite any papers or any doctors literature that shows us that since MRNA was introduced, that this number is going even higher, that there's not just a correlation from those other 20 years.
2: Yeah, I definitely can. So the first thing I want to do is um, I want to address this term turbo cancer because this is, this is where people either, either, either they're lost and, and they don't want to hear any further. Uh, this is where, you know, the attack starts. What is turbo cancer? So, you know, this is a term, it's not a medical term. It's, it's, but it describes a phenomenon. What is the phenomenon? The, pho- the phenomenon is extremely aggressive cancers in people who've had at least one COVID vaccine. Now I've been really trying to figure out, is this as an mRNA phenomenon Is this a dna contamination of the mrna vaccines phenomenon because we've you know discovered recently kevin mckernan discovered dna contamination of the pfizer and moderna vaccines you know he discovered the sv40 promoter sequence in the pfizer vaccine specifically in in those dna contaminants the dna plasmids uh so that is one potential causative mechanism so is it is it the mrna is it the dna contamination is it the lipid nanoparticles Or is it the spike protein? If it's the spike protein, well, the spike protein is also present in AstraZeneca vaccines. It's present in J&J vaccines. It's present in Sputnik vaccines. Um, Right now, the best hypothesis I have is that this is a phenomenon uh, that is limited to mRNA vaccines, the lipid nanoparticle mRNA platform. Now, it is possible that if it's the spike protein that is doing the damage to the immune system which i believe is the cause that leads to eventually the cancers forming um there may be you know an uptick a, a small uptick in cancers in astrazeneca or jnj people who've had only those vaccines the situation is complicated where most people haven't had just astrazeneca or jnj and a very you know small number of people have had those two vaccines in north america and they've been taken off the market a lot of people mixed and matched So they got AstraZeneca initially, especially in Canada, for example. And then they got the Pfizer because they were told they can't travel and so on. So there is a little bit of um, confusion as to what what should encompass turbo cancer. And I'm right now going to say it's basically, I believe it's the mRNA vaccines, the mRNA platform. Um, And so if you've had at least one of those vaccines, whether it's Pfizer or Moderna, you're now at an increased risk of developing an extremely aggressive cancer. Turbo cancer is a placeholder term. It may be called something else in the future. It might be called um, mRNA-induced cancer, or it might be called COVID-vaccine-induced cancer. The name will change. But right now, it's a placeholder term to describe these extremely aggressive cancers in someone who's had at least one COVID vaccine, and specifically mRNA vaccine. I want to share. That's an important yeah. point because because this right. is where p- people get confused and they say, "Well, I couldn't find turbo cancer when I did a literature search." Right. So it's not it a medical
1: diagnosis. It doesn't correct. exist, right? Correct. Well,
2: right. When you have a new phenomenon, it takes a while for not only doctors to recognize it, but to then start publishing about it, to to agree on terms. I mean, it takes it takes many years to just agree on terminology, right? Well, but- and,
1: and, and I think that there's there's something I want to put up on the screen because so I want you to see this. Are you familiar with Dr. Philip Buchholz from yes. uh, University of South Carolina? Um, so he put up out this graphic. Uh, he's a professor of cancer molecular genetics. He says there's a theoretical risk of future cancer depending on the piece of DNA and the site of integration. Um, talking about the genome modification of the cells. Uh, and talks about there could be vaccine contaminated with a plasma DNA vector. Is this kind of what you're talking about as far as a contaminated uh,
2: DNA? Yeah. So so basically, um, again, when when we're looking at now, so now we're going into potential mechanisms that may be causing it. You have to classify those and you want to be clear about this. So you have to classify it as it could be the mRNA causing it. When the mRNA makes the spike protein, Now, there is a theoretical risk of mRNA integration into the genome through reverse transcription. This has only been shown in vitro. It has never been proven in vivo. But there is a theoretical risk that the mRNA itself might be reverse transcribed uh, and integrated into the genome. Uh, Professor Buchholz doesn't talk about that, right? Right. Uh, He's specifically talking about the DNA contamination that was discovered about six months ago or so by Kevin McKernan, another U.S. geneticist who was doing randomly you know, RNA sequencing of uh, the, the vaccines for a different purpose, accidentally discovered that there's DNA contamination in all the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines, uh, and this DNA contamination shouldn't be there. It was, it was, it was a leftover of the manufacturing process. Mm-hmm. So when they start to make the vaccines, they take the spike protein sequence, they put it into the DNA plasmid, they put that plasmid into E. coli, they grow the E. coli into billions and billions of copies, then they extract those plasmids. Now you've got billions of copies of DNA. And then you transcribe it into the mRNA, but they have to, when, they, when they're when they doing the transcription, they, they insert the pseudouridine, which is the modified, uh, the artificially modified um, nucleotide that won the Nobel Prize. This is what won the Nobel Prize, this modification. Um that makes the mRNA last longer, makes it more resistant, resistant to degradation, enzymatic degradation, and also uh, bypasses the innate immune system, uh, so it doesn't get destroyed right away. Um, all that to say is that once they get to that process, and you and you extract and you've made your mRNA, you're supposed to purify it. You're supposed to get rid of all this DNA and then put it in the vial, mix it with the lipid nanoparticles, because you know you're going to have the lipid nanoparticles are going to have this mRNA. Then you inject that final product. Well, it turns out they've discovered that the DNA that was originally used to make the mRNA is still there. And it's still there in massive quantities, billions and billions of copies of these plasmids and then fragments of those plasmids are there. The problem with that is that it's much, much easier for a DNA fragment or a DNA plasmid to integrate into our genome when when the cells pick it up, when, when the lipid nanoparticle delivers the payload which has the mRNA, but it also has the DNA contaminant and the cell takes it up. Uh, now there's there's a controversy about the SV40 promoter, which was discovered specifically with the Pfizer vaccine. Uh, and Kevin McKernan talks about this, uh, again, uh, expert in, in genetics, that the SV promoter could actually deliver that DNA fragment to the nucleus where integration takes place. And so when, when Professor Buckholz talks about, uh, you know, the theoretical risk of integration and cancer, He's specifically referring to the DNA contamination that was discovered only in the past year or so. Interesting. So
0: what you're saying is, is that it could potentially be taken up in the nucleus, right? Yes. Right. So uh, uh, can I ask a question from Dr. Fiance? Absolutely. Please do. (laughs) Okay. Do you think with all of this, we're looking at potentially... Uh, cases of blood cancer when it comes to these blood clots. Would you have any idea about that?
2: Well, so when you're talking about blood cancer, um, you know, you're know you talking about leukemia, you're talking about lymphoma, mm-hmm. and I, I'm, I'm seeing an explosion of, of leukemias and lymphomas. Now, again, one thing I'll say about the turbo cancer is that no one knows the exact mechanism that's causing these aggressive cancers. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of theories, and that's where we're at right now, is we're at the stage... Where you know people have different de- theories. My theory is that it's not the DNA contamination that's doing this; uh, that it's actually the the spike protein right. and the damage that it does to the immune system, the immune cells, the immune signaling, and cancer surveillance of the body. Where the cancer surveillance seems to be completely impaired, because these these tumors are so aggressive, uh, they just they just explode right? They just, they just grow rapidly. Sometimes you get these huge tumors, you get these football-sized tumors or watermelon-sized tumors in a very short period, in, in a matter of a few months. Uh, and then you get this stage four, like it just goes to stage four very quickly. Of course, cancer always starts at stage one and progresses to stage four, but we're picking them up only at stage four, which is something that before the COVID vaccines simply, you know, was very rare especially in young people. In young people, you would pick up cancers fairly early, stage one, stage two, occasionally stage four, but that was quite rare. Whereas now we're seeing just stage four, stage four, stage four. We're seeing thousands of cases of stage four presentations in young people in their teens, 20s, and 30s. This is unprecedented. This is where it's really showing up. Now, turbo cancer is affecting all ages. That's another thing I want to clarify is that this is affecting all ages across the board. It doesn't discriminate. So if you're 60, 70, 80, you'll come down with turbo cancer just as equally. But where it's becoming very, very obvious to an oncologist like myself and to radiologists, my radiologist colleagues, for example, who are seeing this on the scans and they're saying, oh my God, I like, what are these tumors? I've never seen something like this. It's in in young people, these stage four tumors in young people. In large numbers, you're supposed to see a couple in your career, and yet there's there's hundreds, thousands of these cases um, showing up.
0: Now, if I remember, these the whole idea with this mRNA injection, mm-hmm. um, it, it was to essentially block the ACE two receptor. Does that sound accurate?
2: Uh, so the vaccine, the way the vaccine was supposed to work, was um, you get an injection in your shoulder. And the big lie that we were told was that it stays in your shoulder. Right. Right. Now, a few cells will pick it up, uh, and then they will make the spike protein presented on the surface. And then your immune system is going to see that, and it's going to learn how to recognize that antigen, that foreign protein. And then that was supposed to be a way to teach your immune system how to fight COVID in case it sees it again in the future. And then the mRNA was supposed to degrade. You know, sometimes they tell us hours, sometimes they tell us a few days. But that was a lie. Uh, and, and that was a huge lie, actually. And and the lie has several le- levels to it. Um, first of all, the mRNA lasts, the modifications made to the mRNA with the su- methylated pseudouridine, which won the Nobel Prize, actually make it last up to a month. It's showing up up to a month in in the blood, for example. Uh, So the mRNA doesn't last hours or even days. It lasts weeks, maybe even a month. So it lasts much, much longer. Right. That's the first point. The second point is it doesn't stay in the shoulder. Uh, The biodistribution studies that were obtained um, by a freedom of information request from Japan, for example, Pfizer's biodistribution study showed that something like 75% of the injection ends up in the bloodstream after within several hours. So most of the injection ends up in your blood and it goes systemic. It just circulates throughout your body and it circulates for weeks. Um, Like I said, they're they're detecting mRNA in the blood for a month. So imagine this stuff is just circulating all throughout your body. These lipid nanoparticles with the mRNA and, and they get picked up in various tissues. And that's what the biodistribution study showed. That's why the biodistribution study was so important, so crucial. It told you where these things were going. They they go in the bone marrow. Now, if these things are going in the bone marrow, they're being picked up potentially by stem cells. And, you know, you're transfecting stem cells with this, you know, genetic material and potentially the DNA contamination. That's how you could be, that's how we could be getting these leukemias and lymphomas and these blood cancers, right? Right. Uh, it right. ends up in the testes and the ovaries. It ends up, Exactly. It ends up, so that's another right. one. And I'm seeing testicular cancers, for example, an right. explosion of testicular cancers. I'm seeing an uptick in ovarian cancers as well. Um, we know it ends up in the breasts and it ends up in the breast milk. They've detected it yes. in most uh, women who've had the vaccine recently and are breastfeeding, something like 80 or 90% of them, they detected the mRNA in, in the breast milk. So we know it ends up in the right. breasts, seeing an explosion of breast cancer, for example right it so, ends yeah. up in the in the organs uh, you know in the liver in the kidneys uh and because it's systemic it can end up anywhere it crosses the blood brain barrier so it goes to the brain crosses the placenta barrier uh and then and en- it ends up in the fetus right and and so but this is the lie that we were told was it stays in the shoulder when in reality the majority of it ends up in your blood and that's why right. we see such a wide variety of side effects I, I wanted
1: to just while we're here because people like to see studies and stats and everything the the study in japan that came out here you can find the autopsy fi- autopsy findings of post-covid 19 vaccines tokyo metropolis japan 2021 this is on the ncbi nih website for the government you can check that out and the other uh pre-print paper that you were referencing earlier uh for individuals i just want to put into the uh show as well and this is from kevin mckernan as well as uh david spiker jessica rose and others dr wiseman it's about the dna fragments being detected from visor and moderna uh mod rna
2: covid 19 vaccines i had a chance i had a chance to speak to david spiker uh Mm -hmm. we've done a lot of uh live um speaking uh, shows recently. and he's told me that, that I mean effectively he couldn't tell anyone he was doing this research because if he did, he would have been locked out of his lab they would have they wouldn't have let him do it. So he did this, he actually did this research secretly in his lab. Wow. Um, he discovered, I think he did he, he sequenced 27 vials, Pfizer and moderna also sequenced the new versions of the vaccine. So if we're talking about DNA contaminations, it's not just the original vaccines. It's they're using the same manufacturing process for the new boosters. So he tested the new booster shots, found DNA contamination in all of them as well. And what he told me was that um, all, every single vial was contaminated with billions of copies of, of, of the DNA contaminants, every single vial, uh, the new new boosters as well. And he said that there's a there's an additional complication where he's 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 seeing Some evidence that there's these DNA-RNA hybrids, that the DNA and RNA actually combine and kind of stick together. And that Mm -hmm. could be a potential explanation that when they went to enzymatically degrade the DNA, the enzyme couldn't even reach the DNA to break it down is because it was kind of forming these these hybrids structures. So there's a lot that we're just just discovering about this in terms of the contamination. I just want to go quickly back to, because you asked me an important question, is is there data about explosion of cancer deaths? Yes. So so I can tell you that um, people always hit me with this CDC graph that shows no increase in, in, in cancers. Um, same thing with the Canadian government. The Statistics Canada has just put out data. There's, I think, an increase of a couple of thousand cancer deaths, but nothing major. Um, but what's interesting is that um, Ed Dowd, Uh, the former BlackRock hedge fund manager who analyzes insurance data, U.S. insurance data, U.K. uh, insurance data, disability data. He has seen a spike in cancers. Uh, He's published this, so I would encourage people to go look at his work. Uh, John Bodwin, who's an engineer um, in in the United States, has obtained one million uh, death certificates in, uh, I believe it's in Minnesota, and uh he says there's an explosion of cancers uh there's evidence of that in the death certificates so there there's 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 evidence in different places but when you look at what's being put out by the big sort of government institutions what's being put out by you know CDC or or, or statistics canada i'm my hypothesis is that they are hiding they are hiding um a rise in cancer diagnosis and cancer deaths. I don't think they want people to see the signal. Um, and I think, again, that's that's just my theory. Right. But, you know, that's and and that's where this sort of, you know, that's where these attacks are coming right now is that people will go, you know, they'll try to find, you know, a government source and they'll be like, look, there's no there's no increase and, and but we're not even getting good statistics from the government. We're getting estimates. You know, we're not getting we're not getting good data, but I believe that they're they're going to be hiding these. Uh, They're going to be hiding these signals as long as possible.
1: Yeah, you mentioned Ed Dowd, and I know that uh, I just pulled this up real quick. You know, immediately the fact checkers went to work after Ed Dowd released that, because I I was actually, I followed that pretty closely last year. Um, And you know, like, nope, it doesn't actually show this. It's contrary to his claims. Uh, There's no evidence that supporting the claim that people vaccinated against COVID-19 are generally more likely to die compared to unvaccinated people. In fact, the evidence indicates otherwise so when you have health feedback as well as uh all your different fact checking websites that are putting this information out are they ignoring our our doctor i just cited from south carolina are they ignoring the the dna that's dirty uh that's causing these problems and if so why
2: well they're ignoring it because you know there there will there are how would i put this nicely there are doc, there are doctors and PhDs whose job it seems to be is to discredit any of this, uh, any of these discoveries, and 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 so you know you will find someone like Dr. David Gorski, who's a surgical oncologist, and he will come and say, triple cancer doesn't exist. There's no DNA contamination. It's all within normal levels. It's all, it's all Russia disinformation. It's it's all conspiracy theories, right? So, exactly. but that is the problem. Is is we've got these individuals, and again, I don't know what his Um, conflicts of interest are but you know they will just come out and say this doesn't exist this is all made up and so on and and often they resort to personal attacks uh reputation smears and and this kind of um uh, you know this kind of um i don't know abuse or 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 attack to, to try to discredit us rather than you know trying to sort of engage us in in debate or or try to even look at the evidence uh you know Kevin McKernan's been viciously attacked as well on his work and i mean he's you know he's 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 published his work in a in a preprint uh same with David 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 Spiker he's also you know put his work out in a preprint but but these doctors who say well this is not real or this is this is not a problem you know they they don't they don't address the work. I've had people attack me. I've had doctors attack me who've, who 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 have never read my Substacks. They've never read anything I've put out. They've never even read my publications. Um, so this is kind of where we're at right now. It, it's it's a frustrating time. It's frustrating for me because you know as a physician I'm trying to you know open people's eyes and and my colleagues' eyes as well who who may may not be seeing this or may not be realizing this um and and yet i'm having to deal with constant attacks most of it from anonymous accounts but sometimes from other mds and phds who seem to just want to con you know be contrarians to to anything that that we're putting out
0: yeah it's extremely disturbing i mean greg and i face the same kind of criticisms quote-unquote criticism uh, in what we do with our own podcasts and we cite work just like you. So this seems to be like an orchestrated effort by whoever is putting this out.
2: And you know, and- I'll, yeah, I'll, well, I just, I just want to mention, you know, what I do right now is I'm I'm at the ground level and I'm looking at, you know, the various cases that are, that are going on and I'm just trying, and I'm seeing patterns because I'm a pattern person that it's radiology is very pattern based. And, and I mean, that's my core training um and so i'm seeing patterns and i'm trying to sort of write about it put it out and and just just put that idea out there look at this like like please let's let's look at this let's look at these cancer cases let's even just start um you know let let's start let's say a database of of people and when they had their vaccines how many vaccines they've had and then then when do they develop their cancer just anecdotally i've seen A lot of these cancers develop after about three or four months after a particularly bad dose or a bad batch. Um, And and that, again, seems to be a a pattern that kind of shows up over and over. Uh, The other thing that shows up is is the very poor prognosis. The fact that these turbo cancers usually don't respond to conventional chemotherapy or conventional radiation therapy or conventional immunotherapy treatments. some of the cutting edge immunotherapy treatments, they're not responding to any of those. Um, So at best, you might get a partial response for a month or two, and then the cancer comes roaring back and it's growing again. And and there's new lesions that have shown up elsewhere. Um, This is the frustration right now that oncologists are struggling with, and they're not publishing. They're not writing about it. They're not publishing case reports. You know know where we get case reports about turbo cancer? We get them from Japan. We get them from Japan, and the Japanese are very good at when when they see something that doesn't make sense. Or something that's bizarre and, and and you know just completely out of the ordinary, they'll write a case report, and they've done it. They've done it on myocarditis. They've done it on blood clots. They've done it on strokes. They've done it on you know Bell's palsy, Guillain-Barré. Like you, know, you name it, the wide gamut uh, of the various vaccine injuries. You will always find a Japanese publication of a case report or a case series. Reactivation of herpes, for example after vaccination, uh, all kinds of uh, skin, autoimmune uh, diseases, um, alopecia, you know, you name it, whatever bizarre reactions people have had from the vaccines, the Japanese will put out a case report or case series, right? Case series are better than case report because you've got maybe five cases or 10 cases, and then you can find, pat- you know, small patterns and that, that's how you're, that's how, uh, you know, that's how literature builds it builds on these observations of something new, bizarre, interesting, and then you just get bigger and bigger studies from that. The Japanese are doing it. It's not being done in America. It's not being done in Canada. Certainly not in Canada. It's not being done in Australia. Uh, It's not being done in UK. You don't see any of these publications uh, or very few of them from these countries. It's the Japanese are a lot of this out.
0: Yeah. Are we effectively looking at immunodeficiency?
2: Yes, uh, I believe so. Um, right. And again, like I said, there, there's right now, no one knows what's causing these aggressive cancers. Um, but what I'm seeing, and, and I saw this very early on, um, I saw it as I tracked the government uh, data here in Alberta, Canada, on how the double vaccinated were doing. And, you know, we had these beautiful charts and tables that the government was putting out. And initially, the reason the government was putting out the data of, how the vaccinated were doing was because they were showing, well, look, the hospitals are filled with the unvaccinated. The vaccinated are doing great. Right. And it's so the hospitals are 90 percent unvaccinated. And that's when Biden was pushing pandemic of the unvaccinated. That's when Justin Trudeau was pushing pandemic of the unvaccinated. It was it was data fraud uh, for the most part, because they were the hospitals were doing they were incentivized to make the vaccines look as good as possible. So they were testing unvaccinated people a lot more often. Uh, If you had the, the vaccine within the first two weeks, they counted you as unvaccinated. There were all kinds of fraudulent tricks that were used to make the vaccines look as good as possible. And even with that, the data very quickly turned horrible for the vaccinated, that after a few months, you start seeing... Uh, that the double vaccinated were doing horribly. They were filling the hospitals, they were filling the ICUs, and they were dying. They made up the majority of people who were dying from COVID-19. This has also been been proven by the Cleveland Clinic study of 50,000 healthcare workers, which showed that the more vaccine doses you took, the more likely you were to get infected with COVID-19 or reinfected with COVID-19. So there was immune system damage. There was evidence that immune systems were being damaged by these mRNA vaccines and what's interesting is um this also showed up as negative vaccine efficacy back at the end of 2021 in Denmark for example data that came out of the Ministry of Health in Denmark they published it and they were they were showing that the vaccinated were doing terribly 6 months after their second dose it looked like they had AIDS it looked like like they they, right. they, they were they were doing so poorly they were getting infected with covid at two or three times the rate compared to the unvaccinated. So there, there there's massive immune system damage. And it seems from the data that I saw that it peaked at about six to eight months after your last dose. And what's interesting is that they wanted us taking these shots every six months. Yes. Because that's when you were at your peak uh, sort of vulnerability. So they could hit you with another booster shot again. And... um you needed at least 12 months, uh, maybe even up to 18 months for your immune system to recover. And I saw evidence of immune system recovery. So it's not just that your immune system gets damaged. And this damage takes about six months to reach its maximum point. But but I actually saw evidence that the immune system recovers. And we saw this in the Australian government data. Uh, they kept reporting vaccine status of people in the hospitals right up to December 2022. And at that point, December 2022, the hospitals were filled with the quadruple vaccinated. They made up the majority of the infections, hospitalizations, and deaths. But the double vaccinated were doing way better. Even the triple vaccinated were doing way better. Uh, So that means that their immune systems had actually uh, had some recovery because they stopped taking the shots. Uh, So there is evidence uh, that there's, there's severe immune damage, especially in the six to eight month period after your last dose. But if you don't take any more shots, your immune system does start to recover. But what are we seeing now? We are seeing record flu seasons. Uh, We're seeing flu seasons where people are dying from the flu. People are dying from the flu. People are dying from from pneumonia. People are dying from strep. They're dying from sepsis. They're dying from septic shock. So, And and these are vaccinated individuals whose immune systems have been damaged.
1: Are the flu, I don't have those numbers readily in front of me. I mean, are we looking at Flu has always killed people, right? Yeah. Um, It's the reason why they do push flu shots, especially for the elderly, um, onto onto the population. Are we seeing uh, an increase by X amount of percent in flu deaths, Uh, and if so, are you aware of what those numbers may be?
2: I was paying attention to the pediatric deaths uh, because uh, I've been very concerned about, you know, the COVID vaccines being rolled out in kids and what that does to kids' immune systems. And so in Canada, for example, I was able to track uh, the rollout of the vaccines. So the first two doses in kids 5 to 11 years old. And then the ro- it overlapped with the rollout of booster shots in kids 12 to 19. And about six to nine months later, after that rollout, we had, we had the worst flu season in history in Canada. And we had a record number of pediatric deaths. Uh, in fact, half the provinces refused to even report their pediatric deaths uh, to the mainstream media. Um, And so we didn't even get the full picture. Only those deaths that were reported were the highest ever reported in Canada, pediatric deaths. And and so I saw it in kids. When you look at, go back, when you look at the mainstream uh, media articles, go back to Australia, their last flu season, you will see tens of thousands of cases, hospitals overflowing, you know, record number of deaths. I think UK also had uh, a record flu season as well, I think it's it's um you know it's a symptom of a mass vaccinated population that has their immune systems damaged.
1: Yeah, that, this is actually interesting numbers I just pulled up here. So in twenty twenty three in Australia, which by the way in Australia people were mandated to get a vaccine or else they weren't able to leave their home. Yeah. So they they vaccinated everybody for flu, COVID, everything, and yet they still saw a thirteen point five percent increase in flu over the previous year showing that despite the fact that they had all these vaccinations, uh, it was a horrible, horrible, and they had, uh, 8.7 million vaccinations administered that year. Um, so okay. I want to just, because i know people like the data i've been putting up different studies on the screen for those that are listening to the audio only on the network go over to uh, either my patreon patreon.com backslash american boldened youtube x one of those platforms and watch the show so you can actually see the studies that have been coming up as dr mackis is speaking but yeah your your numbers check out chris you were going to go somewhere i think with a question after you asked about blood and then we kind of made a a left-hand turn i just want to give it back to you for a moment to, to be able to ask some of those follow-ups
0: that you had. Oh, beats me. We're, going, we're down a completely different <laughs> we are, path. We are. But I wasn't sure. Did no, I... I don't, it's long gone at this point. But I, I would like to ask, um, where do you think the moral compass and the integrity of the medical field has gone? And how do we regain it? Because we're looking at these governments in the United States and Canada and basically in the West overall, where they are taking extremely draconian fascistic types of measures to get these things injected into people. How does this stop? Do you have any idea of how we can regain integrity and how do we uh, reinforce the courage of doctors to speak out against this
2: stuff? Okay, so that, that is a very uh, difficult question because I, I believe we've lost medical ethics. I think we're in a we're in an era, we're in a post-medical ethics era. Right. So you know after World War II, you know you could say you know there were sort of the Nuremberg codes and so on. Uh, but, but we had a certain uh, medical ethics that was established after World War II. Uh, of course you know informed consent, bodily autonomy, all of these wonderful things. Um, everything was abandoned. Uh, when it came to these injections specifically, and that is what's so. Before sharp- you
0: go on, one second. Did you see yeah. what they just did in in the United States about not needing informed consent uh, if if the reactions don't reach a certain level?
2: You know, but but again, it's not surprising. We we've got mm-hmm. we also have accelerated uh, approval processes now being um, uh, yeah. pushed through in in Canada. I believe in the United States as well. They're they're trying to now just just fast track things, fast track approvals, uh, without having to do um, you know proper studies and so on. I mean, that's if it, is effectively what they did with the new COVID booster shots. They just said, well, you know, uh, I mean, what I mean, one of those boosters was what like eight mice or something, um, no, yeah. <laughs> and last time, I think I, I don't know if they even tested it on mice. Uh, this this, yeah. this the, the latest booster at all. Uh, and they said, "Well, we rely on on studies from the previous vaccines or the original vaccines, and we're still monitoring, even though they're not monitoring anything." We're, we're really in a in a I call it kind of a wild west uh, in terms of medicine because I really think we've lost all medical ethics. Now, of course, they're going to keep pretending that you know we still have the ethics that we had before the pandemic. But, but I want to I wanna draw your attention to, because I, I, I just wrote a subsec about this recently, but I want to draw your attention to the way that um, a lot of the media and a lot of doctors talked about denying medical treatment to the unvaccinated, for example. Uh, and, and that talk was very rampant back in sort of 2021, 2022. And it was openly talked about denying care because you chose not to get an experimental vaccine. I mean, we are in like, where are we in, in terms of medical ethics? Like we've gone so far off the path that I, I, I really like when, when you start denying care and this happened in Canada, we actually, the, so the health authorities actually, I would say murdered several transplant patients who were unvaccinated with the COVID vaccine, didn't want to get the COVID vaccine. And so they took them off the list and they ended up dying. You know, we've had two cases like that already now. That is state-sanctioned murder. Um, so, I mean, if we're the medical ethics is gone. Uh, what we have left over is either a shell or an echo of what we used to have. This idea of, of, you know, bodily autonomy. We don't have informed consent, by the way. We no longer have informed consent because doctors are not allowed to tell their patients about the risks of the COVID nineteen vaccines. Uh, and and this is why I'll, I'll bring it back to the turbo cancer. This is why. It's so frustrating when when it comes to the issue of turbo cancer is is that doctors are not even allowed to question and then research um, a possible link between the COVID vaccines and cancer. Uh, We've had the FDA and the CDC, they've admitted myocarditis and they lie about the incidence of myocarditis. They say it's one in 5,000, one in 10,000, when in reality, it could be as high as one in 30 we saw that in the Thailand prospective Study by Man Guan in 2022 with 300 uh, teenagers. Uh, one in 30 had evidence of cardiac damage after uh, their second Pfizer shot, I believe. And then uh, Professor Christian Mueller in Switzerland tested 800 healthcare workers um, after their booster shot. And again, about one in 35 had evidence of some kind of uh, myocardial damage. Um, and, and so they've lied about the myocarditis, they've lied about the blood clots, they've lied about the strokes, they've lied about the neurological diseases, but they do admit that you know, the vaccines can cause them in rare cases. The cancer, they say, cannot, be, cannot cause, like literally cannot cause cancer. And th- where, where, I'm, where we're stuck right now is that doctors are not allowed to even ask the question. They're not allowed to make an association and make a hypothesis, ask a question, and then research it. Um, and I can tell you, I, that's probably why we're not seeing any of these publications that everyone else wants to see. Everyone, everyone wants the studies, but no one realizes that doctors have a gun pointed to their head and said, you're going to lose your license if you even ask the question, let alone try to do a study or get one published. I mean, I, I just told you that, that David David Speaker, uh, this, this uh, virologist, Uh, and geneticist who did the sequencing for the DNA contamination, he literally had to smuggle the vials into his lab. Now he works with Dr. Byron Bridle, who's been locked out of his lab for the last two and a half years. Dr. Byron Bridle actually uh, obtained the, the Japanese biodistribution study I talked about earlier with the rats and the Pfizer vaccine showing that, you know, the the, the Pfizer vaccine went all over the body, so he, so David had to literally sneak the vials into his lab to be able to do the research quietly. No one knew what he was doing, uh, so that he could actually get the information out, publish it, knowing that he was taking basically a career-ending risk. This is where we are. So, like everyone wants the studies, but no one says, well, <laughs> doctors have a point, gun pointed to their head, and they can't do the studies. Yeah, I think it's complex,
1: right? And so I wanna get you your thoughts on this because I've been thinking about this a lot. So there's a cognitive dissonance amongst the population, especially in the West, right? Because we were told that you were not a good person unless you went and did your job to keep grandma and grandpa healthy that you were doing your part by rolling up your sleeve and they made a spectacle, they were giving away free cheeseburgers, right? All this other stuff. I believe the cognitive dissonance comes in that if the average citizen starts the process, wait a minute, we were part of an experiment. We were not given complete informed consent because there was no informed consent to be given because of how fast, this was rushed to production. It doesn't mean that they didn't do experiments. They didn't test rats and euthanize them afterwards like they were supposed to, but it was operation warp speed under president Trump. I'm not sure what you guys called it under uh, Trudeau, but uh, there's all these catchy little names, but the cognitive dissonance means I can't believe that what I put into my body could possibly harm me a year from now, two years from now or my children. And it's a horror. It's a horror that is so deep in people's minds right now that it shuts down the very conversation that we should be having and be open to not out of fear but out of love and so in the medical community when the canadian government starts taking actions and lawsuits knowing that these doctors can't afford the lawyers to go up against them when the american government starts telling the governors, make sure you send out this letter to physicians throughout the United States and all of your states, some of the governors didn't do it, but in states like mine in Delaware, I know for a fact that doctors got it, telling them, if a patient asks you, do you recommend this? You're only to say yes, or I think it's a good idea, but it's ultimately up to you. I think that's uh, an interesting place to be as a society, because how do you, start to have courageous conversations around all this, like we're having this evening, when all of a sudden you might be feeling like, oh my God, I was a horrible person for, for not asking questions, for painting these people that Greg had on his show as in the loony bin. They were actually trying to help me out of love and telling the truth, and I was completely closed off to it. I think that's kind of what I want to hear from you, Dr. Macus as we wrap up. What do you want to see in the world? from individuals like Chris, myself on these type of shows in order to help society out, what's the action plan? Because the data is there. It needs to be explored by everybody, not just uh, people that are willing and able, brave people. What's the action steps we can give listeners, doctors that may be listening that have kept their mouths shut. What would you like to say?
0: And can I follow that up with one little thing? What would be your best argument against the World Health World Health Organization's Pandemic Preparedness Treaty. Hmm.
2: Okay, you threw out uh, two big ones there at me. Um, You've got 90 seconds. No, no, you got all the time you need, all the time you need. <laughs> well, look, I'll tell you this much. I think we are much further along in, in terms of conversation, being able to have open conversations and, and actually learning about what these products are and what they're doing to people, and and what the risks are, and so on. I think we're much further along now than we were even a year ago. Uh, certainly, you know, year and a half or two years ago. Uh, I think we have to keep the conversation going, and I would love to see more people find courage, and and start to either speak out or, or maybe just speak. You know, continue speaking to your loved ones or friends, and so on. But I, I think I think that's crucial. I think keeping the um, not just the conversation going, but also kind of the inquisitive nature. You know, keep asking questions, right? Um, I'm constantly challenged uh, with the, with the attacks. Now, if people are doing just personal attacks, most of it is pharmaceutical bots, and and so you know, I'll, I'll block the personal attacks. But people ask me questions. Some of these questions are really challenging. I'm constantly having to ask questions as well, um, and and so th- you know, that's how I build my knowledge uh about this because we're we're sort of in in we're in new territory um and i have to say that with this mrna technology with this genetic technology we are in a new era uh we're in a new era um where you know the the medical establishment is is running like rushing uh with this new technology that is extremely complex uh, potentially very dangerous, has all kinds of unknown risks, uh, and they're trying to now people think that it's just covid nineteen that that you know, and p- people have for the most part, have stopped taking covid nineteen vaccines. Only about ten percent uh, of people have taken the new booster shot ten to fifteen percent. I think even the Pfizer CEO was extremely disappointed that it's so low. And no matter what they do, it's no matter how many NFL stars uh, Pfizer hires, um, or, you know, what kind of a marketing campaign they do, hey, take your double double shots, take your COVID shot with your flu shot, get the double jab, you know, the two, now it's two Band-Aids, not one, right? No matter how they remarket this, people are pretty much really don't want to take these vaccines anymore. But when you look at what's in the pipeline, is there are, you know, when I looked recently at this, between Pfizer, Moderna, and some other companies that are trying to get into this mRNA field, there's over 500 mRNA vaccines in the pipeline. In the pipeline, I mean phase one, phase two, or phase three human trials. These are going to be coming to the market. In fact, Japan, just a few weeks ago, Japan approved the first self-amplifying mRNA vaccine, which is the next generation of mRNA vaccines. Now, it's basically the same thing, you know, lipid nanoparticle, Uh, with the mRNA, but now the mRNA has additional sequence. It's not just a spike protein. Now it's several other proteins, which once translated in your body, create replication machinery to make more mRNA in your body. So the mRNA is replicating itself in your cells. And then, of course, all of that mRNA is generating spike proteins. So now you have like, it's like the mRNA vaccines squared. Right, it's not you. You don't just have the spike protein from the mRNA that you were injected with. Now you're creating more mRNA, and then that mRNA is creating more spike protein. Japan just approved this in their country. Uh, so we're we're now dealing with, and they're talking about you know um, putting CRISPR technology into lipid nanoparticles and so on. There's a lot that's coming at us uh, as 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 a population. Uh, these are dangerous. Th- this is a dangerous time because th- these are all experimental technologies. They're not fully understood. We have no idea what it's doing to to fetuses, for example. Um, I'm seeing a lot of fetal deaths, a lot of miscarriages, stillbirths, a lot of pregnant women uh, having all kinds of very serious complications. I'm now starting to see um, babies born having all kinds of bizarre cancers. It's 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 really shocking. Right, born to vaccinated mothers. Uh, we don't know what the long-term outlook is on fertility. Like I said, spike protein expressed in the testes in the ovaries. Um, what is it doing to fertility? So we're we're going to be bombarded with with this technology, with this um, specifically this mRNA technology. And I think we have to continue to try to uh, educate ourselves. I, I think you know, kind of keeping your mind open. And continuing to ask questions and 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 having discussions and engaging in discussions with other people, like you know, you're you 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 had me on tonight, um, uh, you know, you you gave me a platform to to talk about mm-hmm. these things, and we're discussing uh, a lot of this, a lot of these new things. Um, I think people have to continue having conversations because um, if you if you if you try to ignore, if you if you sort of put your head, if you bury your head in the sand. What happens? This this happened. This is this happened in Canada, for example, with the medical establishment, where the Canadian Medical Association they, they know that the doctors are dying. That that there's massively increased mortality of vaccinated Canadian doctors. There's a fifty three percent increased mortality in twenty twenty two compared to two thousand nineteen. I have the data. I gave the data to the Canadian Medical Association. They called me a dis, disinformation conspiracist, uh, conspiracy theorist. Um, And and they basically um, ignored it. And and all the presidents of the Canadian Medical Association, they've all blocked me. They buried their head in the sand. They don't want to hear about it. A lot of doctors don't want to hear about it. But again, what is the consequence of burying your head in the sand? (laughs) Dying suddenly, having a cardiac arrest. There's 40-year-old doctors in Canada closing their practices because they've had a stroke or they've had some neurological, some rare neurological disease uh, after taking five shots or six shots. Um, so it's very dangerous to ignore all of this and, and try to just bury your head in the sand. Uh, I think the I, th- I think the important thing is to to tr- continue trying to learn and keep the discussions and conversations going. Yeah, the, the the two things that that
1: I have heard is one, people immediately go, it's not the vaccine, it's definitely COVID it's long COVID COVID causes all this. We know COVID's horrible. Once you get it, you're and At that point why even get vaccinated because we're all screwed. If, if that's really what it is. Um, but <clears throat> when you come down to it,
2: but that's, if- but you know, what's, you know, what's fascinating about that? What's that is where's the autopsies showing? Um, right you know, the, 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 viral proteins, again, no one's, no one's doing the autopsies to prove it's long COVID. Correct. So I, I've, I've had that some, conversation with multiple so How providers. do you believe, yes. how does someone believe that it's long COVID and not the vaccine when the autop, the proper autopsies are not being done right. for, for either case?
1: So, I mean, that's, that's the first part and you hit the nail on the head on that. The, the question I have, and I do want to get to the who question because I thought it was an excellent question for Chris, but before yes, I, we, end. I didn't address that. Uh, sorry, yeah. But, but that, that's <laughs> okay. we're covering a lot of ground and that's a good thing for listeners. I'm not trying to rush. Um, you know, we, we have the time that we need. So, and I'm sure you guys, you know, listening from wherever you're listening right now, you appreciate that. I'm curious for the people to go, you know, well, I got my triple booster and I'm working on my fifth. Uh Because we are in this experimental phase, right? These trials go on until, what, 2028, Chris? Was that what what originally the the timeline was? Well,
0: per the FDA documents, these trials go out until 2027. Now, that doesn't Uh, mean more trials haven't been introduced. Correct. Um, And then once the final trial has been completed, you usually have another two years to go before you finally get an approved product. Right. So So if we're going
1: from traditional studies, and this thing was introduced in 2021, we should probably see by 2026 five years after the first of what would be catastrophic if it's going to be catastrophic is that accurate or am i completely off base but is it, am i is it realistic to say that people wouldn't be experiencing a uh, a mess of seeing everything in front of them quite yet that the the wave might not have hit
2: well um <sighs> so that that's you know that's an interesting way to look at it uh, because the way i see it when you look at the vers reports uh the signals the safety signals were there right from the very beginning right. um and they were bad i mean this was again i mean yeah, i always ask the questions how many deaths do we need to have right like how many deaths uh, in the in the VAERS system like i think we have something like 30000 deaths How many how many how many pediatric deaths are acceptable? Is it a thousand? Is it ten thousand? Is it a hundred? It used to be not a lot. Right. Right. It used to be like, you know, ten deaths or 50 deaths. And and the product is pulled off the market. We're in the thousands of of any category. Pick your category, right? Pick your age range category, what have you. We're in the thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of deaths. Uh, And so like we're way beyond that point. Like all the safety signals have been ignored. They've all been ignored. Uh, Dr. Peter McCullough, you know, addresses this very nicely. He talks about how you know there was such an explosion of, of deaths and injuries in the VAERS reports in the first month or two after the COVID vaccines rolled out that that should have been sufficient of a safety signal to pull these things off the market until further studies and and so on, right? But but it, it was sufficient to pull them off the market. And, and I and I believe that I believe that there was sufficient as I go back and I study the VAERS reports now in retrospect. Um, and I look at these things and I'm like, my God, like 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 there's some really bad things uh, that are documented in the VAERS report in in December of 2020, January 2021, February 2021. You know, how many would you need um, to pull pull these things off the market? Not a lot. These They should have been pulled probably latest February or March of 2021 just based on the Vers data alone and and you know there's reporting systems in you know the European medicines agency in the in the Australian uh, Australia has that da- has a database uh, uh, adverse event reporting system the UK there were safety signals in all of them these things should have been pulled off the market now we're like we're now several years after the fact and they don't want to pull them right no matter it's it's like no matter what happens at this point no matter how many people die how many people are injured they don't want to pull these things off the market so that's why i said we're we're, we're post medical ethics like all of this is now nothing applies anymore the medical ethics is gone right this whole like regulatory mirage like oh we're still monitoring for side effects it's a fraud the whole thing's a fraud uh we're way, we're years past the thing we're we're, we're years Past the point where these things should have been taken off the market.
1: Yeah, I, I got a text message um, on January twenty second, and I'm going to hold it up to the camera. I probably won't actually. I'll read it to you guys. It said from the CDC, VSafe is now open for the updated COVID nineteen vaccine. Register within six weeks of your COVID nineteen vaccination and tell us how you're feeling. VSafe.cdc.gov, which is part of the VERSA program, right? And I'm reading this, going the experiment's still on. If they're sending out mass text messages to people like myself and others trying to collect the data, then the people that are getting these boosters are being experimented upon because they want to find out, well, what are the adverse effects? What, what is this newest doing? Um, and that's what is bizarre with me when I got that text message. I, I mean, I've never gotten a booster. I had a horrible response. on part of the various data originally. I talked to you about that previously, uh, last year. Um, But when I'm getting a text message like that, it scares me because I'm not sure the average person's processing what that truly means. And that goes to Chris's question about the WHO. Chris, why don't you uh, re-ask that question? It's been a little while and I just wanna make sure it's fresh.
0: (laughs) Well, uh, to sum it up, what would be your best counter argument to signing on to the World Health Organization's Pandemic Preparedness Treaty?
2: Well, to me, the WHO is a completely corrupt institution. Uh, I mean, they've been openly lying about the vaccines, the vaccine side effects. Uh, when you look at, um, you know, even when I went back and looked at, for example, the va- the, the vaccine mixing, you know, um, issue in in Canada, authorities told us, yeah, just mix all the vaccines, no problem. Get get whatever you want, mix and match. Which, again, is medical malpractice, because if you're mixing experimental products and something goes wrong, you end up having an adverse event. Well, you can't even trace that adverse event back to which experimental product caused it. That's why you don't mix experimental products. And yet the authorities told us to do it. Now, the WHO initially said, don't do it. Don't mix vaccines. And Canada, I think, was one of the first countries that started doing it. Other countries started doing it, and then a few months later, WHO says, "Ah, go ahead, mix, mix, mix and match. Do whatever you want." Right? Uh, the WHO is is not uh, a trustworthy institution. And this idea of this pandemic treaty, where where you're going to cede uh, essentially national sovereignty to this to this globalist body, to me is just absolute absolute insanity. Uh, I mean, we saw incompetence uh gross incompetence and malice uh in terms of the handling of the pandemic just at the national level um you know and some of the states did better than others for example in the united states uh but at the national level at the u.s and in canada there was gross failure and now we're going to give our you know uh, sort of sovereignty to a, a global body uh, that's been lying about uh, the vaccines from the very beginning to me it just you know it's it's an, an it's a non-starter it's an absolute non-starter and you know again they're um, they're talking about misinformation and disinformation. Uh, we saw this at the World economic Forum meeting in in Davos in Switzerland that's their number one concern. Uh, it's actually depend like any future pandemic is not actually their number one concern their number one concern is controlling the information and what they call misinformation and disinformation they want to control the narrative. And, and, and uh, you know they're worried about um, people like you know myself, yourself, who would contradict the narrative and who would uh, get you know different information out there. And, and so um, I'm very much against the you know the WHO. I, I think you know the US and Canada. I think Trump Trump did it absolutely correct when he took the US out of the WHO, and I think that was the that was the correct decision. And I think that needs to happen again. I think that's that's the best way forward. And I would I would definitely advocate the same for Canada. Get out of the WHO. And and um, obviously we need to review what happened. You know, through the throughout the pandemic and the failure of public officials and so on. But um, I would say get out of the WHO.
0: I think we need to start going after the NGOs, the Eco Health Alliances, the GAVIs. And we need to start registering these things and finding out how much money and who is giving, who, how much money these places are getting and who's giving it, who's creating the policies for all of this. Because these NGOs are transnational organizations and they clearly have a fascistic attitude towards their populations that they are supposedly helping.
2: Well, I'll tell you this thing, the, you know, the other thing that that the WHO talks about within the pandemic treaty is mandatory vaccination. Right, and, and to me that is a non-starter. You know that is uh, an I absolute, assume absolute non-starter. Yeah. Uh, based I, I on assume... that alone, I would, I would, I would oppose any involvement with the WHO.
0: Oh, correct. And I, I assume at some point they're going to try to tie something like universal basic income to this, along with uh, central banking, digital currencies, and all of that. So we, we're truly looking at a draconian outcome if we don't start standing up to all of this. I can
2: tell you, we, we we had a little test test run. We had a little test run of now whether you want to call it communism or fascism in Canada. it's, it's all of,
0: you know. It's all the same. Yeah, it's in all the end. same. You know, brother <laughs> sister. It's
2: not, <laughs> it's not that different, um, comrade. It's, it <laughs> is know, national <laughs>
0: socialism, right? I see. I see. I
2: see communism because. Um, uh, Trudeau believes in a, in a post-national state. He doesn't even recognize Canada as a nation anymore. So, you know, whereas the fascists were nationalists, the communists were internationalists, right? And so Trudeau is very much an internationalist. Uh, uh, so so we I, we got a taste of communism in Canada during the pandemic, and we got a taste of the Iron Curtain. So there were six million unvaccinated Canadians who couldn't travel within our own country. Forget like, you know, we couldn't cross the border to the U.S., but we couldn't get on a plane, couldn't get on a train. Uh, you, I mean, you could, you could drive, but that's about all you could do. And so we had a form of Iron Curtain in Canada. We had people couldn't go to restaurants. Uh, kids couldn't play hockey or, or, or do sports. Uh, I remember, you know, we couldn't enter facilities. I couldn't take my kids swimming because I was unvaccinated and I would not be allowed to set foot in a recreation facilities unless I showed a vaccination card which I didn't have. Um, and and so we, we got a taste of that. and of course the you know the crackdown of course on the the trucker protest. Um, we had people who lost their jobs because they didn't want to abide by the vaccine mandate didn't qualify for unemployment insurance. Uh, I mean talk about totalitarianism uh, tied to vaccination, right? So so we had a test run of that in Canada. Of course Australia had those camps right those quarantine camps yep. so that was oh, another yeah. it's almost like they tested different things in different countries um but we had a very very you know uh d- you know taste of this eye-opening, dangerous, experience. <laughs> eye-opening experience absolutely like something i never expected to see in canada this kind of draconian for example if you donate it to the trucker protest um the canadian government came after your uh, bank accounts and mm-hmm, they started right. freezing people's bank accounts yeah. and i remember people started panicking because um people started withdrawing all their life savings out of the banks because you didn't know if 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 you know because let's say if you were outspoken uh you didn't know if the canadian government was going to come after your banks and start freezing your banks so you know we had a taste of that and again it's with this whole you know uh who pandemic treaty and and the language the total totalitarian language of of what they propose uh for me it's it's an absolute non-starter and again this this whole medical fascism where you're gonna go and you're gonna be forcing these experimental products on people we came very close it got really bad in some places Uh, i think california was was flirting with uh, forcing all the kids to be COVID vaccinated or they couldn't go to school Uh, Washington state,
1: Oregon. Yep.
2: We had mandates, Uh, you know, we had vicious mandates, uh, COVID vaccine mandates in healthcare. There's still tens of thousands of healthcare workers who haven't gotten their jobs back because they were let go during the the persecution when they were unvaccinated and other, other, other workers, of course, uh, in other fields as well. I mean, that's, I'm tracking the sudden deaths of all these fields that forced the vaccines that had mandates that mandated the vaccines, healthcare workers, teachers, police officers, firefighters, military, pilots. Uh, I'm seeing sudden deaths skyrocketing in all of these areas where the vaccines were mandated. And and, and that was was a horrible thing. Uh, Universities as well. Universities, almost all the universities mandated vaccines, at least initially. Uh, And I'm seeing young students, university students, collapsing, dying, or coming down with extremely aggressive cancers now. So we got a taste of that and the WHO is proposing that is proposing mandatory vaccination to me. It, it's, it's probably the most, you know, terrible aspect of it, but there are many terrible aspects of, of what they're proposing.
1: Yeah. Well, I think the conversation, uh, that we just had was excellent. Um, I, I highly recommend if you're listening to this or watching this hit the share button and make sure you share this with somebody who might be pushing back and help educate them about what are the facts, what are the conversations that Dr. Maccus, myself, Chris, and all these others are trying to have with you in order to help us have uh, the best information available possible. No one's trying to grift, no one's trying to steal your money and sell you fear. We're literally just trying to figure out what's best for humanity, uh, making sure that you guys weren't sold a bill of goods if you are in the camp of, uh everything's free and good 100 safe and effective because nothing in life is 100 safe and effective uh you see at the bottom of uh dr william macus uh he has his uh twitter uh handle right there on the screen at macus md uh for those that are listening to the audio only on the network make sure you give him a follow he presents Excellent content uh, every single day. Not only that, but he also has a stack, and I'm putting that up on the screen for those that are watching. I'll also give the address at substack.com backslash at Macus. M D. And then you can see right there, you can subscribe to that and get all the information as he's looking at these Southern deaths, getting the correlations between different career fields in Canada and beyond. Uh, it's just a, he's a really solid follow. And I think that you probably, if you're watching this or listening, you also know he's a solid, solid gentleman as well. And so, uh, Dr. Mac is. It's been a pleasure to have this conversation. Thank you for all the work that you've done and at the great risk that you've put yourself at as well as you know all the other doctors that are standing on the front lines uh, trying to say, can we come to a table and have a common sense conversation And uh, I know Chris myself and my listeners,
2: we appreciate voices like yourself. so thank you. Thank you very much for having me. I wanted to just sneak in one last uh, oh please do. One last comment, uh, because we started, you know, we started to talk about the turbo cancers, and and I know we went, you know, on a on a few tangents and so on. But one thing I, I do want to say is that if if you have a loved one who's been affected by cancer, and and it's, it's affecting a lot of people right now, um, I, I, you know, no matter how you feel about the topic, whether you know you don't believe it, or or whether you're like, ah, I don't know, you're on the fence about, you know, the the a possible link between the can the cancer. And the COVID vaccines that they may have had. Uh, keep, I all I would ask is please keep an open mind and, and and look into some alternative, uh, alternative treatments because you may run into a situation where you know your your cancer doctor, and they may have you know the best intentions in mind, but your cancer doctor may try things, they may not work, and then they're 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 not going to give you any options any other options they're going to give you what the pharmaceutical companies allow them to give you know the standard chemotherapy or or radiation therapy or certain pharmaceutical drugs that's it they're they're probably not going to work Uh, keep an open mind and consider uh, alternative treatments I'm going to leave it at that Uh, there are you know a lot of possibilities uh, out there in terms of alternative possibilities I write about some of them uh, these are things that Big Pharma has decided not to do trials on, not to invest in, because oftentimes you just can't make money on, on certain things. Um, but, you know, I would, I would urge people to, to, to keep an open mind and look into other possibilities. And, and that's the best thing you can do for yourself. Uh, don't rely on a system that has no interest in helping you that only has an interest in selling certain pharmaceutical drugs uh, and and therapeutics. So that, that's what I wanted to kind of uh, close on tonight.
1: That's a, it's a great reminder to the people, and it's kind of what I tell everybody. Do your own research, right? Be an informed citizen. No matter where you live in the world, information is knowledge. And I guess I should say knowledge is power. We know that. And so information is valuable for that knowledge um dr magus once again thank you for joining the show thanks for being part of the bold american family here joining us for the second time i can't wait to bring you back on i'm sure i'm going to get another invite over to you because i have a feeling i'm going to get even more questions and we'll get you back Uh, i'm going to put you on a hot seat real quick would you be willing if there's a doctor that listens to this show and says, "Well, I'd like to challenge him on this, this, and this. Would you come back and have a conversation? We'll put both doctors, opposing sides, talk it through, and show people how dialogue's supposed to happen."
2: Absolutely, anytime. So there you have it, folks.
1: We're going to try to get a conversation together to actually talk through our differences. Isn't that a great way to model this in an ethical world? I hope that you guys all enjoyed the show tonight. I hope that we honored your time well. The reason why these long form interviews are possible is because of the supporters that have subscribed to the show through Patreon. So if you go over to the patreon.com backslash America emboldened, you can subscribe to the show and through that support it enables Chris myself to have these long form interviews brought to you in video and reach even more people, reach any more thousands of people. So thank you so much for all those that have already subscribed and continue to help this show grow. I hope that you all have a great weekend or whenever you're listening to this, and I'll see you all very soon. You've been listening to America Emboldened with Greg Bolden, Chris Michaels, and our special guest, Dr. William Macus. Be bold, America. <music>